Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 8. And so we are in week two of celebrating Advent. And so Advent is the celebration of Jesus coming in humility, but it's also the anxious waiting for Jesus to come in glory. And so as we lit the second candle in anticipation of Christmas Eve, it really symbolizes the ever-increasing light that pierces into the darkness, which is a picture of the gospel. Now, in our series, we're talking about the reason for the hope that we have. We find ourselves in the hustle and bustle of life and the busyness of the season. We know that that Advent is a season of hope, but very seldom do we stop and just reflect on the reason for the hope that we do have. And so the Apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason that the hope is in you. And so my hope for us in this series as we look at the passages both in the Old Testament but also in the New Testament that we are reminded of how Jesus is our hope for every season in life. And so last week we saw how our enemy used ordinary measures to deceive us and as a result uh, mankind experienced the worst thing possible, separated from God, a broken relationship with God and with the created order turned upside down, headed for imminent pain, destruction and suffering and death, humanity finds itself in need of a savior. And Jesus, our Savior, arrived, and he did not give in to the temptation of the enemy in the second garden, but rather defeated our enemy by perfectly obeying the law and going to the cross. In a sense, he lived the life we could not live, and he died the death we were supposed to die. And so the first reason for the hope that we have is that we needed our enemy to be defeated. And Christ came in his first advent and defeated our enemy. And in his second advent, he is coming to completely destroy our enemy. And so today we're going to look at the second reason for the hope that we have. Because we are in sin, we live in darkness, we need a great light. And so we're going to look in the Old Testament and we're going to see how Jesus is that fulfillment of that great light in the New Testament. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19. It says this, When they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the spiritists who chirp and mutter, shouldn't a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Go to God's instruction and testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, there will be no dawn for them. Now, obviously, we find ourselves in the midst of a prophecy, so I've got to do a lot of work, give a lot of context, but I only have little time about it. So what's going on in our text? Okay, so news is spreading that the Assyrians are invading. And by the Assyrians invading, the prophet is talking about a great darkness that is coming in. And the reason for this darkness is because first, the Lord is hiding his face. We, we find in verse 17 of Isaiah chapter 8 that the Lord is hiding his face. And the second reason why darkness is coming in is not only because the Lord is hiding his face, but the people have abandoned the Lord and abandoned his word. So instead of the people looking to God and going to his word, going to instructions to his law, now they turn to mediums and spiritists to give clarity on this situation. 
Yet even the law of God strictly forbade the people to consult mediums and spiritists. We see this in Leviticus 19, verse 31. The Lord tells them, Do not turn to mediums or consult spirits, or you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. In other words, what God is telling his people is, I'm your God. Why go around me? Why look everywhere else except with me? Don't consult the dead. Don't consult the dark forces. I'm your God. Come to me. And we even see this happening in 1 Samuel chapter 28 where the Lord was hiding his face from Saul and no longer speaking to King Saul. What did he do? Instead of patiently waiting for the Lord, going to the Lord's word, to the lawful instructions, he consulted a witch. And this is exactly what's happening in our text. But look at verse 19 again. As the people are turning to these mediums and these spirits, it says this, who chirp or mutter. In some of your translations, it talks about they whisper. In other words, what Isaiah is trying to show them is as you're going to these soothsayers, their word is not very clear. It's a bunch of chirping and muttering and a bunch of whispering and you really have to pay attention, but they don't really make any sense what they're saying. And what he's doing, he's drawing a a clear contrast between the message of these soothsayers who's chirping and muttering and all they're saying is a bunch of nonsense to the clear word of the Lord. And then in verse 20, the prophet introduces this theme of light. He's saying to them in verse 20, like, if you want light... Go to God, go to his word, for God himself is light. But if you do not and you continue to go down this avenue, there will be no dawn. The only thing you will find is darkness. And as we turn to verse 21, now we see the effects of this darkness. Look at at verse 21. They will wander through the land, dejected and hungry, And when they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. They will look toward the earth and see only distress, darkness, and the gloom of affliction. And they will be driven into thick darkness. In other words, what what Isaiah is saying in this imagery is that as the Assyrians are invading, Darkness is coming, and as a result of these Syrians invading, there will be a food shortage, and this food shortage will lead to hunger, and this hunger will lead to anger. And they will rightfully blame their king who has abandoned God, but they will wrongfully blame God, for God did not abandon them. They abandoned God. And then he says in verse 22, they will look towards the earth, In other words, they will look around. They will try to find relief. They will look to themselves, their own resourcefulness. They will look to others and see who have any resources. Can we make any good out of this situation? Can we find relief in this situation? And the prophet is saying, no, the only thing you will find is darkness, which is distress and despair, pain and suffering. And so even... Though the people have rejected God, they've rejected his word through the prophet Isaiah, and they are going to experience the effects of darkness. The Lord does not leave them in this darkness. 
Look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Look at what he promises them. He says, Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. In other words, God is planning to give his people a great light. And the parts of Israel that have experienced the greatest devastation, they would be the first ones to see this new and great light of God. Now, if you look at verse 1 and verse 2, verse 1 is talking future. Second part of verse 1 says, but in the future he will bring honor. And then you go to verse 2 and it says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. So in verse 1, there's future. Verse 2, it's past. And one of the most confusing things when it comes to prophecy is the interchanging between future tense and past tense. So when we read it, we're like, well, wait a minute here. Did this already happen? Is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? Because clearly he's talking about the past, which seems it has already happened. But then he's also talking about the future, that it is still going to happen. You're like wondering, which one is it? Now, I'm going to eventually show you that what he's talking about about in verse 2 is that it is not in the past, but it's something in the future. But let me address to you, why is Isaiah talking about a future event in the past as if it has already happened? The reason why I think so, and it's the best explanation, is the reason why Isaiah used a past tense because of the certainty that these events will take place. In other words, what he's trying to show them that this event is definitely going to happen as if it has already happened. Why? Because they're planned by a sovereign God. Why? Because they've been revealed to an authentic prophet of the Lord. Not just some soothsayer. Not some medium of spirits that whispers and chirps or mutters that you can't make any clear distinction. But a true prophet of the Lord who is speaking with authority because he's speaking the very word of the Lord. And what is going to happen is as good as done. And again, in a moment, I'm going to show you why I believe biblically it is a future event. But let's stop here and talk about what's going on in our text. So far, in our text in Isaiah, darkness is coming through the Assyrian invasion. The reason why darkness is coming? Because the people have rejected God and his word, and God is hiding his face. Instead of the people stopping, looking to God, going to his word, trusting him, they go to these soothsayers. They consult mediums and spirits. And the picture that Isaiah gives us is a picture of darkness, a picture of distress, despair, pain, and suffering. And yet, Despite the people rejecting God and his word, God does not leave them in darkness, but he promises them a great light. So in this prophetic literature, Isaiah is using this metaphor of darkness and light. 
And so in this metaphor from our text, we can gather that darkness is the absent of light. Because they've rejected God, God is hiding his face. What happens? Darkness now comes in. And from this metaphor, we can gather that darkness is distress, despair, pain, suffering, and affliction. Darkness is not necessarily their evil behavior, although it's involved. It's not necessarily sin, although it's involved. But the effects that we see of this darkness is despair, hopelessness, distress, anxiety, fear, suffering, pain, the gloom of affliction. That's what darkness is. But what exactly is this light? Obviously, we know this light is God. But more specifically, what does light stand for normally in the Bible? So so if you're taking notes, as we read the Bible, light stands for obviously God, but more specifically, the first one, if you're taking notes, God's blessing. So when the prophet talks about God's light, it can refer to more specifically God's blessings. If you want to write this down, write down the reference Isaiah 30, verse 26. Isaiah 30, verse 26. It says this. The moonlight will be as bright as the sunlight, and the sunlight will be seven times brighter like the light of seven days. On the day that the Lord bandages his people's injuries and heals the wounds he inflicted. Now, obviously, we know it's not literally the, the, the moon will be as bright as the sun, and the sun will shine seven times brighter than it already does. From an astronomy perspective, if the sun shines seven times brighter as it does, that means the sun has moved closer to the earth. What will happen to us? We'll burn up. But what is he using here? He's using imagery. If the moon is as bright as the sun, and the sun shines seven times brighter as it already is, where's darkness? gone. In other words, what he is saying is darkness will be completely gone. Why? Because God will be blessing his people. And he's blessing his people by doing what? By bandaging their wounds, by healing their wounds. He does not leave them, but rather he heals them. We see this even in Isaiah 46, uh, 42 verse 6. Isaiah 42 verse 6, it says, I am the Lord. I've called you for a righteous purpose, and I will hold you by your hand. I will watch over you, and I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations. Because of the Lord blessing his people, they will be a light. They will be a blessing to the nations. You're like, well, in the text, how does the Lord bless his people? Well, the first way he blesses his people by calling them. The second one by holding their hand, by watching over them by appointing them to be a light to the nations. And because of their blessings, they will be a blessing. They will be a light to the nations. And so when the Bible talks about God's, this light, it talks specifically about God and his blessings. The second one, if you're taking notes, not only is it just God's and his blessings, but also God's presence. God's presence. Isaiah 60, verse 19, says this. The sun will no longer be your light by day, 
and the brightness of the moon will not shine on you. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your splendor. Now, we read something very similar in Revelation 21 and 22. So if you write, want to write down the reference, Revelation 21, verse 23, it says this, The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it and its lamp is the lamp. So obviously, the city is God's people. And where's God's people? In God's presence. There's no need for the light of the sun or the moon. God is their light because they are living in the very presence of God. And when someone lives outside of the presence of God, there's only darkness. But when you live in the presence of God, there is only light. We even uh, see this Revelation 22, verse 5. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. In other words, in God's presence... There's no more danger. There's no more darkness. We don't have to put lights around our houses to protect ourselves. Because there's no more danger. Why? Because we will be in the very presence of God. In the beginning part of Revelation 21, it says, we will be with God and God will be with us and there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, no more sadness. The very presence of God will be fully realized. How do we know we'll be in the presence of God? Because he's right there. How do we know there's light right now? We look to the sun, there's light. And what what, what John and the prophets are saying, just as evident as the sun gives light, so it will be evident for the very presence of God. For he is this great light. Let's move on. So, so, so when the prophets talk about this great light, God's light, it not only is talking about God's blessings, but the second one, God's presence, and the third one, if you're taking notes, God's revelation. God's revelation. Uh, Isaiah 29, verse 18, it says this, On that day, the death will hear the words of a document, and out of deep darkness the eyes of the blind will see. In other words, what is God going to do? Open the ears of the deaf, open the eyes of the blind. They will hear and they will see, for God will make himself known. Isaiah 60, verse 1 to 3, it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord shines over you. For look, darkness will cover the earth, and total darkness the people. But the Lord will shine over you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to you, to your shining brightness. The glory of the Lord is the revelation of God's goodness. In other words, what the prophet is saying, people will come to God. Nations will come to the light. Why? Because God will make himself known. So in a sense, by looking at all the things this light represents in this metaphor in the Bible, when God is promising a great light, he is promising his blessings, his presence, and his revelation. No longer will he judge them. No longer will he hide his face from them. But rather he will be a light. 
and show his blessing, his presence, and his revelation. Now, remember when I said Isaiah 9, verse 2, even though it's talking about in the past tense, we know it's a future event, and you're like, how do you know? Are you just guessing? No, because the best way to interpret prophecy is with Scripture. Matthew goes ahead, and he sees who's the fulfillment of this great light. Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 15. It says this, Land of Zebulon and land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who live in darkness have seen a great light, and for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. What do we just read that? Isaiah 9 verse 2. Verse 17. From then on Jesus began to preach, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. So what Matthew is doing, he's referring to Jesus as this great light. As Jesus is the fulfillment of this great light. And Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Why? For the very king is in your presence. But then John will continue with this theme of light. John will call Jesus the light of men and the true light. Let's look at John chapter 1 verse 4. John chapter 1 verse 4 it says this. In him was life and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Look at, look at verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So when John is using this word light to describe Jesus, in a sense he's using that word what all the other prophets were using. In a sense he's saying Jesus who is the true light, the light for all men. He is God's blessings. He is God's presence. He is God's revelation. And you're thinking, okay, what does it have to do with me? Good question. The reality of it is just like the Israelites who lived in darkness, who walked in darkness because they rejected God, rejected his word. So we too used to live in darkness. And some of you are still living in darkness. For John tells us in John 3, 19, the light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Paul tells us in Ephesians 5 verse 8, For you were once darkness. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once we were not a people, but now we are God's people. Once we did not receive mercy, but now we have received God's mercy. So in a sense, we used to live in darkness. We used to walk in despair and hopelessness, distress and pain and suffering and affliction. But then the light of the world burst into the scene, pierced into the darkness. And John tells us, and the darkness could not overcome it. 
And so in a sense, by calling us out of darkness into his marvelous light, let me show you how Christ comes in. Because of Christ, we have received God's blessing. Think about this. We have received God's blessing. When God made a promise to Abraham, what did he say? He says, through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. What was that blessing he was talking about? He was talking about Jesus Christ. So in a sense, God has blessed us by giving us Jesus Christ. Like, like think about this. What other blessing would you need in life? God has blessed you in Jesus Christ. This is why I think the prosperity gospel is not only a false gospel, but also a very dangerous gospel because what it does is it attacks the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. It's saying Jesus Christ is not a supreme blessing in your life. You need all these other things to feel blessed. But what the Bible teaches us and what the Bible tells us, no, Jesus is this great light. Jesus is the ultimate blessing of God that you have received. And so we are ultimately blessed for we received God's blessings in Christ. We also received God's presence in Christ. Like, we'll talk more about it next week, but the prophecy says, for to you a child will be given, and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God, who took on flesh and dwelt among us. No longer do we need to go to a specific location to meet with God. No longer do we have to wonder, where is God? Is God far away? Because if you are a Christian, you are united in Christ, which means Christ lives in you and you live in Christ. The very presence of God that dwells among us, that dwells in you. And he promises, I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. And then in Christ, we receive God's revelation. Think about it. Christ reveals God to us. You want to know what God is like? Look to Christ. Jesus Christ even says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But not only does Jesus Christ reveal to us who God is, he also reveals to us this salvation that God has promised. For Christ came, for Christ came to, to set us free, to take us out of darkness into his marvelous light by dying on the cross in our place. And it's through his death and his blood that we are saved. And so we look to Christ for our salvation. We trust in Christ. And so as we wrap it up, here's the reason for the hope that we have. We lived in darkness and we needed a great light. And if you're taking notes, is this, God has given us a great light in the coming of Jesus, who is God's blessings, presence, and revelation. God has given us a great light in the coming of Jesus, who is God's blessings, presence, and revelation. So let's talk a little bit about the implications of that truth, and then we'll go to the table. when you find yourself almost cursed, I wouldn't say cursed, but nothing is going according to plan. You look around and you feel like the wheels of life is just coming off. 
Everybody else seems happy. Everybody else seems blessed. And you look at your life, and you have no idea what's going on. You almost feel like the redheaded stepchild of God. What do you do? You look to Christ. You look to the very blessings of God that you have received. If you don't feel blessed, let me tell you this morning, if you are in Christ, you are so blessed. What, what else could you want from God? He gave himself to you, his one and only son. He has blessed you beyond measures. So don't feel cursed, feel blessed. For Christ is God's blessing in your life. When you find yourself maybe alone, when you feel like God is far away, you feel like God does not hear you, you're praying and your prayers are literally just ricocheting from the ceiling back into your head. And you're just spinning, 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 wondering where in the world is God? Look to Christ, for Christ is the very presence of God. And because you are united to Christ, you are in Christ. Christ lives inside of you, and you live in Christ. The Spirit of Christ is inside of you right now. He's not far away. He is near you. He lives inside of you. He will never abandon you. He will never forsake you. He who began a good work in you will complete it. When you find yourself maybe confused, like what in the world is God doing? Where is God in all of this? Or even maybe doubt that the fact that God loves you or maybe even wondering like, is what Christ has done for me, is that enough? Like, is God going to accept me? Because clearly I am constantly messing up. I'm falling short. Just when I tell God I'm never going to do it again, what do I end up doing? I go back and do it. What do you do? You look to Christ, who revealed God to you, who revealed God's salvation that he has accomplished for you on the cross. Like, we have a great hope in Jesus Christ a great light that has entered into our darkness and darkness cannot overcome it. And so as we get ready for this table, this table is, is an object lesson. It is a reminder for us where in this table we see God's blessings. The fact that he prepares a table for us and invite us in to come and eat and guess what? You don't have to bring a side dish. You don't have to have a special pass. The invitation is for you. The fact that, 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 that God prepares a table for us in his presence. He's not preparing a table for you and he's in the side room. He's at this very table as you're eating and drinking in his presence. The fact that in this table, God reveals to you the salvation he's accomplished through you, for you. On the body of Christ that was broken for you, the blood of Christ that was shed for you. So when we eat it and when we drink it, we're reminded of the sufficient work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. A great light has been given to us that pierced into the darkness, that pulled us out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
And so as we get ready to, to distribute these elements, like, like I want you to reflect and meditate on God's blessings, God's presence, and revelation in Jesus Christ. And praise the Lord for these things. Let me pray and then we'll distribute these elements. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've done. God, thank you for this table. Thank you for giving us this great light that reveals to, to us your blessings, your very presence, and reveals to us you and the salvation you've accomplished for us. Help us in the distribution of these elements and the receiving of these elements. May we look to you. May we trust you, rest in you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's distribute these elements. Think about this wonderful blessing that we have in Jesus Christ. He called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He took all of our sin upon himself. He died in our place. His body that was broken for us. Eat it in remembrance of him. And then on the cross, his blood that was shed for us, the new covenant we have now in Jesus Christ. We are children of God living in his presence, and one day he's coming back and his presence will be fully realized. And for now, we're drinking in remembrance of this new covenant. Take it and drink it. We are reminded of the sufficient salvation he has accomplished for us once and for all. The wrath of God was satisfied. Our sins have been atoned for. There is no more sacrifice left. And so we receive this in faith. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us constantly reorient our hearts and our minds to you help us not to be distracted help us not help us when we look around not to walk in distress and despair but realize what you've done for us realize the incredible blessing we have in you lord jesus that you are with us that you are for us that you love us and care for us you make yourself known to us Lord, help us to walk in this gratitude. Help us to walk in this light. And when we find ourselves wrestling with sin, remind us of who we are in you, Lord Jesus. Help us to look to you and trust in you. We thank you and we praise you. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship our King.